Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Tonight we're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I've entitled my message, The Holy Spirit and His Gifts. Thank God for the Holy Ghost for sure. But first let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together. We do so in the precious name of Jesus, asking that you anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to be open to the truth that liberates, delivers, and sets free. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost and making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to proclaim with accuracy the truth of your word, that you might be glorified in all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 When I was away on vacation, we just had a, a time where you just sit there and you just look over the ocean and you see, number one, the sand did its duty. It was keeping the waters back like God made a decree and said that it would. So it was obedient to do it, and we thank God for that. But then also you see the vastness of the greatness of God. Wow, when you look out there and you just see all that's out there and you think that, my goodness, what a great God that we serve, the God of all creation. But as I was pondering on that, the Spirit of God kind of spoke within my heart about teaching and ministering on the Holy Spirit and His gifts. And I felt that Wednesday night we'd begin to, to do that. And so that's why if you need a copy of the notes, kindly raise your hand, we'll get them too. If you didn't get one when you came in. But I, I'm going to be obedient to do that uh, with us. Tonight, anyone else, just raise your hand up. Matthew 3.11 will be our opening text. And when you think about the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit, you think about the power of God, the combined presence of God the Father and God the Son in the person of the Holy Spirit. One of the first times I ever experienced a tangible manifestation of the Spirit was when I got filled with the Holy Spirit and my tongue was set on fire. You know, at the time, I didn't understand what it meant. But I do know this. Since that time, I realized that's when, number one, I experienced the gift of God as far as tongues is concerned. But also a ministry gift that was given to teach God's word. And we'll see a little bit of that here in just a moment. But uh, that was one. Another time was when I went down to Atlanta with a, a group of other people. And we went to a Kenneth Hagin uh, faith all faith crusade and there in the meeting he had an altar call and we went up I went up one of the first times that I experienced power of God that way and that even before he came and touched me the presence of God was so profoundly manifested that I just went under the power just in a heartbeat just like that so the spirit of God is a tangible manifestation of God's presence that we can experience in a, in a tangible way and when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit, I do believe we're talking about a subject that's really to be approached with reverence and respect. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 11. 
I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Isn't that something that one of the first things that John the Baptist says about Jesus's ministry is that he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Wow, what a statement from the very beginning. Well, once again, it's a subject to be approached with reverence and respect because our God is a holy God. And the things of God are holy. Matter of fact, look at the book of Exodus in chapter 3. First five verses here we talk about Moses, his experience with the tangible presence of God. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of a, the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Stop right where you're at. Two things he says. Number one, stop. Number two, put off your shoes from off your feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. What an amazing thing. He tells him, stop. Don't go any further. Reverence my presence. Respect my presence. Number two, take your shoes off. The ground is holy, not because it had some inherent holiness in itself, but because the presence of God was there. And because God's presence was there, it became holy. Matter of fact, there are many out there right now that in their temple worship, they don't wear shoes. Out of reverence for God. So we see here God telling him, look, you come before my presence, I'm a holy God. Come with respect, come with reverence as you approach me. Also, we see in uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, a similar experience, but a little, somewhat different. This is Isaiah's experience, and it's in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried in the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the th tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Notice in that place of God's presence, we've got these angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy to the Lord by day and by night. 
And when he has a revelation of the holiness of God, he is convicted of his own shortcomings. And he says to him, my goodness, he falls before the presence of God. I'm a man of unclean lips. And what happens is this coal taken from off the altar purges his lips. Now, if you look at some of the different references with regard to why that may have happened that way, think about this. is because he was well aware of his shortcomings. He was well aware of his faults. He was well aware of his flaws and so on. And if he was going to be a spokesperson for God, God knew he would have to deal with these concerns. And he might not want to speak boldly because he's aware of his own shortcomings. But he said, look, when I anoint your lips to speak, you speak on my behalf. Don't be so focusing on your shortcomings, your faults, your failures, your sins, because if anyone did that, you'd never speak to anybody. Amen? Amen. Who would you speak to? No. So he purges him and his lips so that when he speaks, he speaks for God by the unction of the spirit with the fire of God in his mouth. And God wanted him to know that. So we're talking about a holy God. And can you imagine if every time we gather together in public worship, not that we would have to take off our shoes, but if you think about it, have we lost sight of reverence for a holy God? Especially when people come together to worship and we see a lot of things that are going on, like a, almost like a half-hearted attempt either to be entertained or to whatever. But you know what? God has not changed. He is holy. And we are to reverence his presence. We are to respect his holiness. We are to honor him. And especially when we gather together like this in the public service and ministry begins, our focus of attention should be on the fact that we are serving a holy God. We want to honor him, respect him, hold him in highest esteem, Give him all the praise that he deserves, not because we've been forced to or coerced into doing it, but because we recognize the fact that he is a holy God. It's almost like you could put on the door when you first walk in. You're entering into a place of holiness. Reverence and respect the presence of Almighty God. It's no longer about us. It's about him. We want to exalt him. We want to magnify him. Remember, Jesus said, my father's house is not a house of entertainment, social activity. It's not a house of religious tradition or the traditions of men. It's a house of purity. It's a house of prayer. It's a house of power. It's a house of perfected praise. That is my father's house. And that's why he was so upset and cleansed the temple in the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry, because they were basically not reverencing his presence. If we want manifestations of the power and the presence of Almighty God, then we have to reverence His holiness. He is a holy God. Amen? And we want to give Him the respect that He deserves. Our undivided attention. Well, the spirit baptism, I believe, is available to all of us now. But there was a time when it wasn't available to anyone. You see, it wasn't available until Jesus did a mighty work. What it took for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost 
is the second person of deity had to leave his glory behind. He had to come to the earth being born of a virgin. He had to live a life of sinless perfection. He then had to go to a cross and suffer and die. He then bore the wrath of God upon his own being, was raised from the dead on the third day, took his blood to the high court of heaven where he obtained eternal redemption for all of us, right? Came back and showed himself alive so everyone could know that he fulfilled his life mission. And then as he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, he had a coronation service that took place. His glory was restored that he left behind. As he says in John 17, God gave it back to him. And now he can send the Holy Spirit. So when you think about that kind of effort, that kind of work, just so that you and I could be filled with the Holy Ghost, my goodness. It wasn't available to us until that happened. How meaningful is that? You see, once he had finished and accomplished what he was set to do, then the Holy Spirit was sent to do a twofold work in the life of anyone and everyone who would come to him. Number one is regeneration. Number two is the spirit baptism. But let's first of all look at John 20, 26. And look at what it says. After eight days, again, the disciples were within and Thomas with him. Then came the doors being shut and stood in the midst. And he said unto them, peace be unto you. And then he breathed on them and remitted their sins. And I believe that's when they were born again. He breathed on them and they were born again. Go on to the book of Genesis and you can see back here something similar taking place in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. The same thing, he breathed on them, but he breathed on man, he became a living soul. We see the same thing in Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Bones. Look at verse 9, then said he unto me, prophesy to the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So we see something amazing here. Jesus does his finished work. He's completed what he's to do. He goes back to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Before he left, he breathed upon his disciples and they passed from death to life. They were the first ones to experience this act of regeneration. But then look at Luke's gospel in chapter 24 and verse 19. This is Jesus before he goes back and is seated and he says this. He said to them, what things... And they said unto him concerning Jesus, now that which is a prophet. Prophet, mighty deed. That was supposed to be 49. Deed and word before all the people of God. Can you find 49 there, Paul? I don't know how that happened, but it's where he said, stay here until you're endued with power from on high, for you shall receive the Holy Ghost not many days hence. You shall receive power from on high. We know that. But, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He is saying, stay here. And we know it's for 10 days. Let me ask the question. Have you asked yourself this question? Have you asked God the question? 
Why? He breathed on them, they were born again. They were regenerated. They passed from death to life. But now, he says, wait. Wait until the promise of the Father comes. Why wait? What's the reason for waiting? You're here. You're there. The answer is simple. Pentecost hadn't come yet. See, God's timing is perfect. The first three feasts were fulfilled, but the fourth one was not yet, and it wasn't proper to do it before the time. On the day of Pentecost is when he sent the Holy Spirit and fulfilled that feast day. So on the day of Pentecost, there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we see here on that day is the day that he was to come. He was to send the Holy Spirit on that particular day. And he did come. And we see a manifestation of the Spirit taking place in their lives. So these two distinct works of the Spirit of God are still at work in the earth today. Regeneration and being Spirit-filled or being baptized with the Holy Ghost. And the thing is, if it really took all the effort of Jesus to bring it to pass that we could be filled with the Holy Ghost, why wouldn't anybody want it? Why would we want his work to be in vain? Why would we want to experience the fullness of what he has provided for us in his redemptive work? And we all should want to be filled with the Holy Ghost and the power that comes from on high. Well, we know that the things of God are holy. And we know that when we're born again, we become the temple of the Most High God and we are a holy people. But before I get to that, let's look at this. Jesus was the Son of God, sinless, holy Son of God. If Jesus, the Son of God, who was sinless and holy, had to be anointed with the Holy Ghost and power to go about doing the things that he was called to do by the Father, where does that leave the rest of us? How can we possibly think that we can do that without this manifestation of the Spirit? Uh, look in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. And it tells us that Jesus was anointed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So Jesus of Nazareth is the name of his humanity. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And then he went about doing good. If he had to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power to do the work he was called to do, how much more do we also need this manifestation of the Spirit in our lives to accomplish the purposes that God has for us as we sojourn here upon the earth? Look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and we see that's when it happened. But Jesus was baptized. He went straight up out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a voice, a low, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The spirit of God fell upon him when he came up out of the water, landing on him like a dove. This, we believe, was his anointing. So when he came up out of the water, he was anointed with the spirit of God. And he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And in John's gospel, we see something else here in chapter 3. For he whom God hath sent 
speaks the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The distinct difference between any of us and Jesus was the fact that he was sinless, he was perfect, he was holy in every way. And when he received this baptism, this anointing from on high, he received it without measure. Without measure. He had the full manifestation of the Spirit of Almighty God, and every gift of the Spirit was in operation in his life. And that's why he was able to go about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And what a mighty work he did. Well, the emphasis of being saved or regenerated and being Spirit-filled continues in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 19, we see the Apostle Paul going to the upper coast at Ephesus. And look at what it says, beginning at verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? What a question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Stop right there just for a moment. Wow. That would be a sad scenario if in many churches of today, people come out and say, what are you talking about, the Holy Ghost? What do you mean, have I received the Holy Ghost? There's a Holy Ghost to receive? Think about it. I believe there's some places where the Holy Ghost is trying to get in. So people can receive. You see, this is God's redemptive work. It's not ours. This has nothing to do with you or me. This is the hand of God at work. He regenerated us. He sent the Holy Ghost for us to be filled. But it's up to us to receive him. And that's why he asked the question. This is almost 20 years later. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? He said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Oh, now he's got them. I see that. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's regeneration. And then when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they had goosebumps. No? He must have a different translation than I have. No, what happened? They got really excited. They jumped up and down. They ran around. Now, what did they do? They spoke with other tongue, with tongues and prophesied. So we see 20 years later, Paul is still emphasizing the need for anyone and everyone who comes to the Lord in regeneration to receive the Holy Spirit. Why? This was what he died for. So that he would, number one, cleanse us from all sin and regenerate our spirits. And then number two, enter into our spirit being with the power of the Holy Spirit from on high to endue us with power so that we can carry out the life mission that we've been called to do. So it's important for us, you see, to do the same thing that he emphasized back then. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, we see something very important here. 
Paul the Apostle is making a, a reference to the fact that, yeah, the temple was a wonderful thing, but the temple has changed. And when Jesus died and rose again, he says, I'll destroy the, you destroy the temple. I'll rebuild it in three days. And he did exactly what he meant and said. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God and you are not your own? Whoa. My body's the what? Your body's the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God and you're not your own. Someone says, should we do this? Should we not do that? Should we do this? Is this okay to do that? Do that? You know what? Just come to the realization that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. And God is a holy God. And if we think that a burning bush represents the holy presence of God, that we have to take off our shoes. What about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit making us the temple of the living God? Oh, wow. Can you imagine that? Well, it, it, this incoming presence of God and personality and power is greater than any manifestation of the Spirit at all. Look in the book of uh, Luke, chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. The cause is greater than the effect. The cause is greater than the effect. The effect, this outward manifestation is a wonderful thing, but the cause is so far greater. Seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you uh, unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not. That the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's the cause. The effect is... Devils are subject to you in his name, but the cause is so far greater. What's the cause? Your name's written in heaven. My name's written in heaven is the cause. You see, the cause, the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Almighty God is greater than any manifestation of the Spirit. Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the greater cause. The Holy Spirit empowering us is the cause which is greater than any manifestation or manifested work of the Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 4. We see the same thing here. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but that they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Cause and effect. What shook the place was the manifested presence of Almighty God. The cause was the Spirit of God within them as they released His power through prayer. So I believe we all have the same indwelling presence that we can call upon in our time of need. And the effect will be God will manifest himself in glorious ways and do tremendous things through the life of whoever. But the greater cause 
is the life of God within, the power of God within, the personality of God within, the character of God and the gifts of the Spirit of God. Now, maintaining a Spirit-filled life is key for our, to our success. In Acts chapter 4, notice this place that prayer holds in doing this. What does all this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Everything. Everything. Look at what it says. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant to thy servants with all boldness where they may speak thy word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Prayer. As they found themselves in a difficult situation being challenged by those religious ruling leaders that were out there, they got themselves together and they prayed to God and asked God to manifest himself through signs, wonders, and demonstrations of his power. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, maintaining a spirit-filled life. These are some years after uh, the day of Pentecost. And we see him manif manifesting himself among them in a powerful and glorious way as the place is shaken where they assemble together. You know, I, I believe that God wants to shake the place. Whether the place be me, whether the place be you, whether the place be where we gather together like this in a public meeting, God wants to do greater things than we want him to do. There needs to be a longing, yearning, burning desire within the soul of every individual person that says, I am not satisfied with where I'm at in God. I want to experience the fullness that God has for me. I want to experience the tangible presence of Almighty God in my life, through my life, so I can be the blessing that God wants me to be here upon the earth. Number two, not just prayer, but also through worship. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, we see here, in verse 18 through 20, but 17 says, be not unwise, but wise, knowing what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord? Don't be drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In the more literal translation, be being filled with the Spirit continuously. How? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the references here. Speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always. What does that lead to? Maintaining a spirit-filled life. You realize in this society in which we live, this culture right now, it's easy to be down. Because of all the things we've been facing in the last few years, it's easy to have our countenance fall. But you know what? Through it all, God hasn't changed. Through it all, God has always been the same. He still supplies all of our need according to his riches and glory of Christ Jesus. He's still the healer and deliverer as he once was and will always be. He's still the God of power and might. And he hasn't changed. He's still the holy God that really demands our respect. The next is the word. In Acts chapter 6 verses 7 and 8. We need to be people of prayer, people of worship, people of the word. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, faith meaning the word and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. As we stay in the word of God, I believe we enhance the anointing of God in our lives. 
So as we pray, as we worship, and as we proclaim the truth of God's word, we stir up the gift of God within us and we give the Holy Spirit something to work with in our lives. God's promises are always fulfilled. He never fails to fulfill one of his good promises that he makes to anyone. Every promise of God is yes, and the amen is given by us, spoken by us to the glory of God. And so God wants us to be people of prayer, people of, of uh, worship, people of the word. We need all of it to have a greater manifestation of his presence and power. And then finally, here's where we come to what we want, really want to study. This is like an introduction to what we want to study. We have the gifts of the spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all is verse 7. Notice, he doesn't want us to be without understanding with regard to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the cause is greater than the effect. The effect will be these manifestations, these nine gifts of the Spirit, but the cause is even greater. The cause being the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, manifesting himself through us. And so, we'll study and we'll see that there are nine gifts of the Spirit Revealed in Scripture. Three of them are revelation gifts. Three of them are power gifts. And three of them are vocal gifts. The revelation gifts, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. The power gifts, special faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles. And the vocal gifts, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And all these gifts have been given to profit every single one of us. It's not for selfish purposes or reasons that we have these gifts in manifestation in our lives, but so that we can be a blessing to others. So in our conclusion, and as I said, we're going to start, start next week and the few weeks after talking about these gifts or manifestations of the Spirit because God wants them to be in operation and manifestation. But remember what I've said tonight. The cause is greater than the effect. The cause is in the indwelling presence of Almighty God and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and power. It's the holiness of God within that gives place to the power of God that manifests through our lives in these gifts of the Spirit. So if we've been born again, then Jesus said we should be Spirit-filled. In John's Gospel, chapter 7, he made that very clear to us. John did, that is. You see... This power from on high is for those that hunger and thirst after God. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, that they which believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Notice he said, Are you thirsty? Then come to me and drink. Come to me and drink out of your belly. Where's it going to come from? Your belly. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit that they which believe on him. Do you believe on him? Amen. Then we should receive him. That is the Holy Ghost. See, he leaves it up to us. It's up to us to, to let him know, I thirst for you. I hunger for you. I long for you. I want more of you. The way I got filled with the Holy Ghost was that very way. I knew nothing about it. I came from a background that never talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Didn't talk about the Holy Spirit much at all. Amen. When I got saved, I had the life and nature of God in me, and I knew it. I was a changed person. 
Well, I gravitated toward Pentecostal church, went to that Pentecostal church in Niles, Ohio. And while I was there, the presence of God was wonderfully manifested through the praise and worship time. And then I got to the point where I just wanted so much more of God. An altar call was given. Whatever you want, come on up here. I was inspired to go to the front. I walked up to the front. I knelt down. They had a kneeler there. I knelt down. And the fellow says, what do you want? I really didn't know what I want. I just, I just want more of God. I want all there is of God. Oh, you're born again. Yes. Have you been filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues? No, I haven't. Never done that. That's what you want. Is that what I want? That's what you want. I'll take your word for it. And that's what I want. And guess what? I was a hard case. It took 45 minutes. They were probably thinking I can have a sandwich by now and I could be home taking a snooze or whatever. But I was on my knees. And on my knees, I was there with a pure heart. I lifted my hands to heaven. I'm telling there were three gentlemen around me with a, one arm here, one arm hand there, and one on my head. And they were speed praying in tongues. They were speeding like crazy. And I'm just there with my mouth wide open, catching any fly that was in the room. That was me. And I'm thinking, when's this going to happen? Finally, after so many, it was almost 40 minutes by this time. And the fellow said, do you feel anything? I said, yeah. Well, what do you feel? My tongue's on fire. Well, then speak. You should have told me that a half an hour ago. I'd have done it gladly. And I did. That was it. But you see, that was the longing desire. Come on up here. Let's minister to the Lord. Oh, that was my longing desire. It was to have God and as much of him as I could. Can we all gather around this altar? Can we lift up our hearts to heaven? Can we let him know he is a holy God and we know it? 